This episode is brought to you by Flatiron School. Flatiron School is an outcomes-focused coding bootcamp offering the best in software engineering education online and in New York City. For more information, visit flatiron500.com or check out the Giants and Crowns Partners page at www.giantsandcrowns.com forward slash partners. This episode is provided to you by Clara Labs. Clara Labs is making it easier for you to focus on the things that matter by providing a 24-7 virtual assistant to handle all of your scheduling needs. Here's how it works. All you have to do is CC Clara in your email thread, and Clara will take it from there. Clara is responsive, reliable, and simple to use. For more information, visit www.claralabs.com. I'm Dibu Norby. Um, I'm a human being, and... <laughs> Uh, this who you are question is uh, is really complicated sometimes, but uh, right now my job is the CEO of Beta, and uh, I grew up in Philadelphia. I live in San Francisco, and I've uh, been working in technology for uh, my entire adult life and some of my childhood as well. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about what Beta is? Yeah, so Beta really started... Uh, about three years ago, and at the time I was working at a company called Nest, and uh, we made hardware products like the Nest Learning Thermostat, um, the Nest Protect, and the Nest Cam. And I had a chance to uh, work together with some of the, the business teams there as a software engineer, um, trying to help them figure out how to scale their physical retail presence. Um, because when you're launching a physical product, um, even in 2017, physical retail is primarily where people will buy your product. Um, but more importantly, it's where most people find out about your product for the first time. Just sort of seeing it on shelves, seeing um, seeing the boxes, seeing the merchandising, the packaging, et cetera. And when you're scaling that, um, your, your, your brand presence to thousands of stores, uh, you end up building all of this software and all of these specialized teams that... Um, sort of maintain your your brand presence everywhere and and also just help deploy um, your resources efficiently. And what I noticed was that um, there was a huge disconnect between the way that brands wanted to use the store in today's day and age versus the way that the retailers wanted to um, wanted to work with brands. And um, you know, as a really specific example, um, we really saw, stores as a way to um, teach people about the product. Whereas the retailers really saw, big box retailers in particular, really saw the store as a place to distribute the product, to get people to transact. And this problem sort of shows up in all kinds of places when you're working with the retailer. And so uh, I was thinking about that and I realized that someone needed to invent um, a better way for brands to work with retailers and in order to do that, it wasn't there wasn't a simple solution. It really, um, you really had to go down to the root of of retail itself and um, change the business model, change the, um, the interfaces, and then change the consumer experience as well. If you wanted to seriously deliver on um, a great experience on behalf of brands as a retail store, and so we started Beta about May 2015 was we was when we technically incorporated. Um, and we launched our first store in um, December 2015. And it's the first store that 
was made for brands um, to uh, help them educate customers about their product. And so it's a, it's a totally radical type of retail experience inside the store as a customer. But importantly, the experience that we provide to brands is, um, is really exceptional and, um, and, and forward-facing. Um, so do brands transact in the store? I mean, can I can customers transact in the store? They can, uh, but what makes us unique in retail is that we make zero dollars when we sell a product. Um, <laughs> and so the typical like the typical model, right, is is the retailer places a purchase order. They'll send you it's, purchase orders, literally like a you know like a PDF document today that's has a number of items that they're going to buy um, when it's going to be delivered. There's a term sheet where you know, if you don't deliver by this date, you get these kind of penalties or fees. This is where you deliver the product to and a price. And that price is typically in electronics. If you're selling a TV, it might be um, the retailer may pay 8% lower than what the customer pays. If you're selling a cell phone case, it might be 70 or 8% less than what the customer sees. Um, but essentially, retail operates on this wholesale margin. And that's how that's the only way that retailers really make make money today. And in our model, um, the brands themselves pay for the space that they're using in the store. Um, and it's a, it's a flat sort of fixed monthly fee, sort of like renting or just renting the space from us. And when we sell their product in the store, um, they get 100% of the sales. They get literally, if they sell the product for $99.99, we give them $99.99. And that's a, that's a really radical way of, of actually constructing a store business model. That's interesting. So, from uh, from uh, from a model standpoint, you're and feel free if, if some of this you can't talk about, but your your overall cost of the real estate for the store, the build out for the space, and then storage, I would imagine, for all the inventory that you have. Yeah. So we don't we don't carry a tremendous amount of inventory, and that's one of our learnings about if you're inventing a store in today's day and age. Um, a lot of the brands they're they're thinking about it as education. Like I said, right. like they they don't need the customer to leave with the box in their hands. They're happy with the customer to see it, um, to get a great demonstration and then buy it on their, you know, direct to consumer website after, afterwards. So the storage is really the, the least important. I think the most, the, lar- the the real cost of running a store outside of the lease is the staffing. And we find that staffing is probably 60 to 70% of the cost of running a store actually. And I would imagine it's also probably one of the more, well, maybe, maybe you can tell us like how important is staff in terms of being there to help uh, provide that really awesome experience or is it really just there to support? <laughs> um, I personally believe, and I know there's a lot of people that disagree with me here, but I don't think you have a store if the staff, if there aren't great staff there. I don't think there's a reason for someone to walk into one, even if you have a great selection of products. I think people go in to talk to somebody. I think they want to they want advice from a human being who understands the product and um, knows, you know, knows their language, um, understands the context around questions, and um, it's, you know, we 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 like we think of our staff as as the company. Like I, we actually spend a lot of time working on tools just for the staff inside the store. Um, nice. And, and yeah, I think that's. You know, and there's there's been like a trend. I think over the last 20 years, you've seen a lot of larger stores um, take staff out because they are seen as a cost center. But when you if you actually flip staff from thinking of them as a cost center to 
revenue generating machines, <laughs> um, for lack of a better word, uh, you can you start realizing like actually like the more people you add that are good, just the better the business is, and it do, it's not, it's just not they're not a cost center. I, I I don't get that. I never got that logic, but um, it's it's almost like when you think about <clears throat> hospitality, like the hospitality industry having a really awesome individual can be a significant multiplier for that customer experience and also then increase retention and, and word of mouth around that person, around that customer. Oh, for sure. Actually, some, one of the um, most common questions we have is like, well, how can, you want, when you walk into one of our stores, you'll see about 150 um, different technology brands and products. And these are really complicated products typically. Right. And so we often get asked like, well, how do the staff remember all of the knowledge about the products? How do you do training? And actually for retail, um, for us at least, the training on the products is pretty simple. And we uh, we start to, once you understand the basics of um, the components of most of these products, for us it's like Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, um, battery life, stuff like that. Most of the training is hospitality training. It's just learning how to take care of a customer who, or shopper, um, who comes in. And that's... Um, that's what it's all about, you know, and, and you, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. When you said, when you said, when you made your comment, I, I gave you like a, an invisible high five here because I, I do think while, while there, it seems like there is this major trend to, to automate things and to, to, to cut people out of the equation. I think that we, we more so want that human connection, especially when we're dealing with physical products like food, electronics, Anything that I can touch, I, I know. Like for example, most most recently, I'm I'm researching headphones, and I've been researching headphones for quite some time. Um, and like one of the big things is I want to know what the call quality looks like, sounds like when I'm talking to somebody on the telephone. I'm like sure, like the noise cancellation is going to be there, but I'd love to like make a phone call, but also I'd love to just touch the product and then have somebody else who can talk to me a little bit more about it and tell me about their personal experience um, rather than just read it. I wonder. Yeah, is, I mean that's a perfect. Yeah, that's the perfect. I mean that's the perfect use case for stores, honestly, because you know um, if you wanted to try a product, um, you might go off of what your one of your friends recommends, and that's that's fine. Maybe you have friends who have tried a lot of mics already or a lot of headsets, um, headphones. But um, you couldn't, using a two-dimensional website or your phone, learn what the like how the sound you know, coming out of the headphones, actually like what the quality is. You couldn't do that without trying it in person. And the physical retail store can provide that unique service of giving you a bunch of different headphones that you can try and and cross cross test. And, um, and I think that just the disconnect that's happened is that just because you come into the store to try the product doesn't mean that you're going to buy it there. And that's, that was when I was thinking about building stores, I felt like the narrative of retail dying goes away when you realize that like the service of giving someone a trial of products versus the transaction of getting the inventory are two different things. Once you remove that bundle, that bundle um, retail is no longer dead. It's actually, there's actually a lot of white space, a lot of things that need to be invented to, to make it better. So um I'm just super excited about retail. I don't. It's weird, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm also obsessed with that. I mean, you're, you're an entrepreneur. Like you spend 
you know, every waking and sleeping minute thinking about it. So, yeah. So when did you get interested in retail? Like, what was, was that, uh, was that a, an old desire or is that a newfound love? No, definitely not an old desire. Um, yeah, I only started thinking about it from the brand side when I was at Nest and trying to solve these problems. Mm-hmm. And so as part of that job, I had to go into retail stores to, to figure out um, what was going wrong, like why inventory wasn't being placed on shelves, why displays weren't working, why demonstrations weren't being given by staff. And um, there was a distinct experience, I remember, though, um, going into a couple of the large big box stores looking for Christmas gifts a few years ago. And I remember just thinking like, oh my God, like the whole store experience is sucks. It's just, there, there's, you know, there's nobody to help me. The products that I'm seeing here are out of date. They don't have the, the stuff that I'm seeing online. Um, the store is a mess. I can't find anything. Um, I've got to wait in a line. Like it, 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 it seemed to me like we were all thinking that the, you know, the store is going to go away because of e-commerce, but this, the store as a product was just really bad. And, um, and so that, that was like, I think that experience as a customer and then also, uh, you know, working on the brand side, those two things just got me just really hungry about understanding um, why this was like, there's no good reason why things should be bad in the world, you know? Um, and when you start, when you see something that's doesn't feel right, um, uh, understanding why is really important to me. And I just, this is this, this industry is just a really deep industry. And so understanding why the store experience is bad um, versus just saying like, okay, well, it's bad because um, nobody has, um, there's nobody good working at this this retailer. Like that that's like that's a that's like sort of lazy thinking. You have to go down to the root of um, how decisions are made at these companies and and how and how the experience is actually constructed over time. Um, and then you can reverse engineer a better solution. So how have you guys <clears throat> have you thought about the solution you've built out? Like in terms of how do you what are the levers of the product, um, the product experience that you've created, and then the team that you've built up around that? What are the? I don't understand the question. What are the lever? The uh, levers? So like you said? The, yeah. So the you broke up the, the business before <laughs> saying like, for example, you alluded to the cost drivers being um, your personal yeah. person on the space, the real estate, the small space for inventory. But I'm sure there are other elements you start to think about when you're constructing um, your product experience. You, the the product experience being the physical space that is beta. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, so ret- so we think about retail as a platform for the brand, like I said, mm-hmm. and and so we think if you can enable a brand to um, to build the display, the experience of their dreams, um, and have total control over that, um, they will figure out um, what the best experience actually is for the customer. Now that's not always true, but it's true if you get enough if you get enough companies through. Um, you know, if your top of the funnel is, is really why you have a lot of companies coming in and trying new things, um, the best entrepreneurs within that, within the retail space will, will surface, um, over time. And so we've, 
we built all of these sort of modular elements that this sort of sandbox for companies to um, construct an isolated experience within, you know, for at the smallest level, it's like a two linear foot display in our store um, to up to a table or even a room in one of our locations, um, like the Oculus Rift experience that we have. Um, and the, that sand, the, those components are like, um, you know, software display that companies can upload, you know, video imagery, description, customer reviews, um, other, other types of uh, media. Um, it's the fixtures themselves, like the, how the product is displayed physically. It's this, uh, we, we have, we allow companies to load us up with demonstration apps that, um, can run a product through a certain script to show a certain use case of the product or, um, something like that. Um, and then what makes, what ties it all together is that we quantify as many things as possible when, um, around the, the brand's product. So we were watching using machine vision and other types of sensors. Um, we're able to track how efficiently customers um, find, learn, and demo their products. And using those metrics, the brand sort of can, can tweak their experience um, over time. And so it gets better over time. And that that's, I think without that, it'd be really tough for um, the experience to be as good as we think it is when you come in. Because, um, you know, if you just, if you're a new company, we work with a lot of new companies, um, you don't know how to, de how to develop a good retail experience. Um, you can only get there by iteration, trying, looking at the data, trying something else, tweaking the training, tweaking the, um, the materials, tweaking the demo, et cetera. Um, and you can only do that if you add a, a whole bunch of software and, and these modular physical components that we've built. So that's, that's effectively your technology in this instance. That is, that's a, that's a substantial portion of what we spend our time on as well. Mm. Yeah. And is that stuff proprietary to, to beta or is it, is it sort of like, what is the, what does that solution look like? So we built most of it ourselves. Um, we do, we do work with other retailers as well. So for example, we have, um, a, a large national partnership with Lowe's around smart home right. that we're, um, they're, we're powering. And, um, and so that case, in that case, they're getting access to the software, but they're also getting the experience itself. Um, I think we'll, we'll do more of those as well, but yeah, we've, we're, we're, we're primarily, we primarily think of ourselves ourselves as a technology company. Um, but obviously like the physical part of it is, a, is, is pretty important too. And that there's a lot of proprietary stuff there as well. How's that? Uh, how's that been pitching to investors or uh, explaining to investors? Um, <laughs> honestly, uh, that's the worst part of my job. I would say. I okay. think, yeah, I think I think the reason why is that. Um, so there's a couple of things. One is that investors don't like to get out of their chair, and physical retail is a physical experience, and you have to you have to actually come and see it and and do it as a organic shopper, not as a sort of like, oh, I'm a critic and I'm going to walk in here and, and check out all the things that are wrong with this. Right. Um, I think also like there's of all things, uh, of all industries, like think, I think investors think they know the most about how retail works, but actually know the least. Mm. And so there's, there's a lot of, 
um, just a lot of misunderstandings about, about it. And like, you know, I've, I've like, I just a couple months ago, um, I walked into investors office and the first question I like to ask a VC is, well, what is your theory about the future of retail? And, um, and she said, well, I think that physical retail is not going to exist in the future and that all stores are going to become warehouses for Amazon. Interesting. And so, you know, I, and I get that, I, I get like a variation of that kind of thing. If that's your base understanding of retail, it's really hard to work back from there. Right. Um, now we've been able to raise, we've raised, I think publicly we've disclosed about 20 million in funding, 19 and a half million funding. So we've find, we've been able to find really good investors, but we've had to, I think the kinds of folks that we gravitate towards are actually coming from the retail real estate world who, um, who are a little bit less lazy in their, um, you know, understanding of physical space. So yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's, a, that's a really interesting observation because, you know, the, <clears throat> so my previous business is also in the real estate space. So it's a, it's a co-working space. And we made a number of, we, you know, we raised capital as well. And one of the major things there is that we needed people to see the space, like to come by and feel what it was like to be in our space to determine the, dis- the distinguishing factor between what we have and what uh, we work as or what any other company has. Um, and that can be challenging if you're, if you're pitching or you're speaking to investors who, one, fundamentally don't believe in co-working or fundamentally don't believe in shared office offices. Um, you have to kind of convince them off that ledge, um, which is its own battle. And it's another thing if they've never seen your space, like if they've never seen your physical product. When it's a digital product, they can download it, put it on their phone and play around with it, send it to their friends and ask them for feedback. Right, right. Yeah, I, yeah, it's funny, you know, in the Bay Area and, and New York City in some ways, but like, especially the Bay Area is one of the most advanced. Um, the people here don't act like most human beings do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, like, like, like most of the country is like, most of the country is totally different from Absolutely. Silicon Valley. And, and like a lot of, especially if you're like a wealthy venture capitalist, like you don't go to stores why would you go to a store like you, you there's you know you, you have you have a super busy schedule you have assistance um you know i i don't i don't know it's it's just tough to communicate that message and i i um you know net when i think about nest being powerful as a retail comp, as a re, you know figuring out retail like what that really means was like figuring out how to get people interested in nest in like iowa and houston texas and chicago and um and the Bay Area was sort of like, eh, like people here are going to, you know, they have, you know, they have disposable income. They're going to look at our website and, you know, click buy and, um, you know, never touch the store. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, it's a tough piece about retail and probably, probably real estate as well. Like, no, what VC is working out of a co-working space, right? Like they don't have that experience. Right, right, uh, right. Most of the time. So. <laughs> That's interesting. So what is, what does your team look like now? So we are today. We're about eighty people, um, about fifty of which are um, inside the retail stores. About thirty of which are in our office. Mm-hmm. Uh, the office team, the corp team, is, uh, I would say, uh, thirty to forty percent engineering and product focused, and then the rest are between sales, marketing, and operations. Um, 
and then the retail team is a is a really large group of of folks here um, who are in the stores. So interesting. So how have you thought about you know as, as you're scaling the business out? How have you thought about the the growth of that team? Like how do you, what are the what are the areas that that are the most integral to the business? This is a really tough. This is a really tough question, actually. We're, we're, you know, I think if we were a typical software company, you know, maybe I might say um, we need more engineers. We need to hire more engineers, designers, product managers. Um, I, I think we've we've been a company like we have. This retail is a. I think relative to other software companies, is an expensive business to build. Like every time we, sorry. Um, <laughs> Every time that we open a store, there's this sort of massive capital infusion that needs to go into building it out. Um, and then there's this fixed ongoing cost of operating the store that is the rent and the staffing that's never going to go away. And so you can't run a retailer um, just because we're a technology company doesn't mean we can run the company like a typical software company. And so I, I think for us, like we just try to keep our team really small and, and focused. Um, if I, if I if I could I probably wouldn't hire a single other person but I you know obviously I think um, that's not going to be true yeah. <laughs> uh, as, as we continue to grow um, going into the holidays the retail side is really where we spend most of our time thinking about hiring it's um, it's really really tough to hire good retail people around the country well, why is that so so for one I think one of the reasons is that we are opening most of our stores in um, in relatively expensive areas and, and cities because of the product selection that we have. And so, um, you know, it's like, Frank, like this is, you know, frankly, like the business wouldn't work if we, if we can't, you know, um, if we can't get people to come down to Palo Alto from other areas, like, you know, it's an expensive area to live. And so finding people who can commute and, and work down there at, um, a retail sort of salary is tough. Um, that's one example. But I think, uh, I think in general, like there aren't enough people who have a, like when you're a startup, we don't necessarily want to do the job of teaching people how to, how to like be good people and, and sort of bring them up from nothing. We prefer to go and find people who already have some background around retail and hospitality and um, and so those those folks like we we prioritize people who come out of Apple or people who, or people come out of Coach right. retailers that have like really good training already. It makes our job a lot easier, and we can spend less time, um, you know, sending them to some of our stores for training and stuff like that. Yeah, I was just gonna I was gonna ask about that. Like your your recruitment strategy, I imagine Apple's right up there in terms of folks that you want to see on your res on their resume because they have this really they're known for their really strong customer service experience and the training that they that they uh, they impart on their on their on their teams. Absolutely, and and it's and it's hard. It's really hard to recruit those. Guys. That's a really good job. Yeah, frankly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess with, with that in mind, like, how what are what are some of the things as you continue to build out the business and scale it to make it this this uh, category killer? Um, what are some of the things that you believe are integral in in uh, making that a differentiator? That being uh, the attraction of awesome talent. Um, folks who would normally go to an Apple who now prefer to go to a beta. Yeah. So, I th so our strategy is a couple fold. So one is, um, 
paying this the same wage or better right. we typically are looking to pay better than apple um we give equity grants to every employee including retail nice. staff um which you don't get anywhere else um which is, is really cool um we've i think we're a small startup and so there are there's a lot of people who want to work for a startup and feel what that's like and even on the retail store side you're part of our slack you're part of our email groups um, there's a lot of communication between everybody in the company and it's a really fun community to be a part of and then um and then the other benefit is uh there's a lot of advancement opportunities um, out of our stores we've hired a lot of people out of our stores to come work at the company because we're growing so fast and we like to work with people that we've that we know and developed a history with and so um, providing that is 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 super helpful i would say that's awesome what, what, what are some of the uh more exciting things or what were you most excited about in the, in the coming year to two years to five years around the business? Yeah. So I'm, um, I'm personally passionate about how to transform us from being a um, sort of technology showroom company into the retail service company. Um, we, we know that, that what we're building isn't just relevant for people who make electronics products, but relevant for people in other categories as well. Right. Um, and so, but making that transition is really, really tough. Um, I think we also are interested in other versions of retail as a service that may not be, you know, a two foot space in a store, but may uh, be something bigger or, or grander for, for those kind of brands that want something um, more special. And so, uh, you'll see us next year doing some really interesting things with, um, brands in much larger spaces than you would typically, um, see inside of one of our stores. Um, I think I'm, you know, we, we, we're always sort of focusing, uh, sorry, trying to balance this, like need to focus and, and keep doing what we're doing even better versus being really ambitious and, and trying to explore other categories and other spaces. But, um, and so striking that balance for me is really tough as, as an entrepreneur, I always want to be have the most ambitious version of our plans. Um, so I'd say like, I, I, I'm excited about doing lots of stuff, but I also know that, you know, we've opened seven stores for technology. And so, and there's like, you know, a hundred amazing places that we could probably build these. Yeah. And so just getting that done would be, um, would be a huge accomplishment, accomplishment for us in the next two years. Awesome. So uh, I want to switch gears real quick and, and knock out our, our quick fire questions. Um, so first question, uh, Big Year Tupac. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I grew up, at, I grew up in Philadelphia, but I'm a, I'm a little, I was a little young for the, uh, for, for the drama, but um, <laughs> I, my, uh, my best friend growing up was a huge Tupac fan. And so Got it. Um, I just, I have to go with Tupac, unfortunately. There you go. It's not a bad choice. Um, so, favorite coast, east or west? Oh, oh man. Seriously? Okay. Um, uh, I, I, I'm an, I, I like the east coast. I'm an nice. east coaster at heart. Yeah. Nice, 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 nice. Uh, so, book that's top of mind, favorite book? Favorite book. Um, so... I really, uh, I really like this book called Do No Harm. It's not my favorite book, but it's the last one that I just read. Mm -hmm. um, it's about a neurosurgeon, 
And I love the I love the details around. Uh, I, I, this is really weird to say, but like, if you ever go to YouTube um, and you have some time and you're not grossed up by this kind of stuff, uh, watching videos of surgery is really interesting. Interesting. Um, <laughs> and this book is like a it's it's an autobiography of like one of the world's top neurosurgeons, and and it just every chapter is like a story of of like a complicated surgery, and um, and it's it sounds kind of lame but it's really really cool really interesting it's almost like um there, there are two series that i'm in love with one is uh, how stuff works I, i'm wondering if it's like this but how stuff works where they break down how com- how devices and how certain services and technologies work and the other is called deconstructed and it's by genius and they break down how a song is is made how certain songs are made is, is this comparable to that in any way the, the youtube video um Yes, it's. I, I think what I like about it is like the tremendous amount of skill it takes mm-hmm. to perform surgery on the brain, right? And watching how they navigate, uh, I don't know. I just it's um, it's. I just I don't know what it is. It's, no, that makes weird, sense. But uh, yeah, that... I'm the kind of person who like at the dentist office is like, give me the mirror. Like I want to see what you're doing in there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> awesome, man. So uh, last question: If you were working on anything else. Uh, what would that be? I I think so. I have a lot of work to do here, but of course, I'm really obsessed with uh, with collecting stuff, collectibles, um, artwork, um, memorabilia, historical artifacts. I think I would probably do something in um, in that area. Nice. So maybe once you uh, once this once you retire with uh, you know a couple billy in the in the bank. We can see you, see you out out in Middle America collecting all sorts of antiques and whatnot. No, I'll tell you what. It, I'll tell you specifically what I'm thinking. Like, you know what drives me? It drives me nuts that like the world's best artwork, the world's best collections of cool stuff, is hidden inside vaults and the mansions of very wealthy people, and nobody ever gets to see that stuff. This is true. And I wish I could figure out a way to get those out of those homes and into the public. That would be. That's like. That's my secret mission. Interesting. <laughs> well, if you want, we can edit that piece out so it remains a secret. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> a good idea, right? <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's like uh, it's it's it takes on this whole collaborative consumption, shared eco economy concept. You just have to find like those folks who who are open to to open up their homes. Yeah, or take the artwork out of their homes into exactly um, into like pop up museums. Exactly. Exactly. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, my man, thank you so much for the time today. I really appreciate it. I know you have to get going. Oh, NC, thank you. This was awesome. Awesome, buddy. All right. All right. Take care.